0: Welcome to the RCPS Community Partner Cafe. We're glad you're here. This podcast is for parents, community partners, and anyone interested in learning more about education, child development, and other topics related to Rockingham County Public Schools, Virginia. I am your host, Katie Lapira, coordinator of community engagement, along with school social worker, Donna Delisle. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Community Partner Cafe. Today, in honor of the role that public education serves in our everyday lives, we'd like to welcome Bo Dickinson, the Supervisor for Social Studies for Rockingham County Public Schools.
1: Bo, it's really nice to have you here. I know you have a wealth of information about American history, so I'm eager to hear what you can share with us. You know, in our country, we have several um, different large institutions, uh, large agencies that have been around for a long time in our country. Uh, and certainly, public education comes to mind. Uh, I think public education is an agency um, that has impacted every single one of us. The, on an economic level, international level, a personal level. And uh, one of the things that's helpful for me is to look at the history or the origins of any of the large agencies. In in other words, sort of how did they come about in terms of uh, where we are today, the past, present, and the future? And I was wondering, you could share with us sort of a, a timeline of the history of public education and how it's come about to where we are today.
2: Sure. Well, thanks for having me. This is uh, obviously a subject I'm very passionate about and, of course, very personal to me as a public school employee, as a public school student, and, of course, as a social studies supervisor. I love the history of our country. And public schools, to me, parallel much of the history of our country and how it developed. We are You know, one of the world's well, not first democracies, but first modern democracies. And uh, as a young republic, uh, public schools uh, uh, unfortunately did not exist, but they they are a sentiment and a vision that come out of the American Revolution. And it was some of our early revolutionary leaders like Thomas Jefferson and John Adams who advocated for free and public education because they believed that the citizenry uh, should be educated and not only should they be educated to have a skilled workforce, but they should also be educated in the principles of republicanism and what it means to be a citizen of our country. So to me, that very much parallels the sentiment and the beliefs and the principles of our early republic and and what it means to be a citizen uh, in a republican democracy.
1: It's a lot of information. Yes, a lot of history. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it looked like in our founding fathers in the early years of our development of our country, what did education in general look like for most citizens?
2: Well, for most citizens, I mean, you have to go back to the earliest days of Puritan New England to have the actual concept of a community school. And uh, that developed into um, some of the earliest public schools that were provided um, uh, to the citizenry. Um, by that, I mean they were free. Uh, you have some of those in early New England towns and cities. Unfortunately, you did not see that in the South. You didn't see that in Virginia. Largely, education here was private you know, just because of the basis of the Southern economy being so rural and uh, so uh, agricultural. Uh, a lot of folks you know, were spread out. The population wasn't concentrated except in a few cities. And in those instances, those were largely private schools that were only available to you know, landed whites of means. The average citizen was not educated in Virginia or at least not provided a free public education until after the Civil War.
1: Wow! Can you talk about what sort of led up to that determination that we instituted a public education system in our country?
2: Yeah, I have to go back to Thomas Jefferson because it was his vision as governor of Virginia to have that. He was the first to propose it, and uh, he could not gain the political support for that system in Virginia, unfortunately. Uh, were—you know He was governor during the American Revolution, so certainly there were other circumstances that he had to uh, give attention and resources to. But that vision stuck in his head, and he... His retirement after pre- his presidency, he uh, advocated for a university system and a university system that would be public and not associated with a particular church or an institution. That this would be a public institution, and that is the University of Virginia, uh, the first of its kind that was not associated with a, a church. Uh, he said that you know that that should be a, a freedom of the people, <laughs> and okay. very much illustrated the sentiments of the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom that he wrote you know, many years prior to that.
1: That's why they call it the university, probably. That's right. <laughs> so when we're moving along that timeline of history, when we're looking at the late 1800s industrialization, where was public education at that point?
2: So Virginia's public education system was a byproduct of the Civil War. And during Reconstruction, in fact, the first public schools, interestingly, were uh, federal public schools that were provided through the Freedmen's Bureau to the recently, you know, the formerly enslaved, now freed people of Virginia. Uh, that was something that existed because of a piece of federal legislation, uh, and that existed throughout the South. Uh, these uh, Largely one room schoolhouses, some of them with dirt floors and certainly meager circumstances. But it was a federal effort to provide education and training to those that had been categorically denied it in any form. So those freedmen schools actually existed in Virginia. Uh, that was in the immediate wake of the Civil War. So that would have been 1865. Mm-hmm. And Virginia is yet to rejoin the Union. And one of the conditions of being readmitted to the union through reconstruction was the passage of a new state constitution. And Virginia's state constitution required the establishment and creation of a public school system. Now it gives the counties of the state until 1876 to have that in place, to be able to get those funds, to get the teachers, to get the infrastructure necessary to provide something of that scale to so many hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And uh, Rockingham County Schools was founded in 1876. Mm -hmm. George Holby was our first superintendent, and that was a byproduct of the passage of that legislation of that state constitution.
1: Wow. A lot of history in Virginia. I mean, I know, always known that we've had that. But when we look at public education, there's really a lot of history of the origins of that. So then take us through into the 20s, maybe in the, the 30s, as it progressed and got more organized, more funding, what were some of the theories on implementing public education, I guess? I guess
2: it was an early fight. Not everyone agreed with the concept of a public education. There were some who balked at the idea of being taxed when they didn't have children in the school division and so forth. And there, there was a bit of a political fight in the wake of the Civil War um, during Reconstruction, because particularly in the South, the economy was not good and many folks were struggling Uh, But the argument was that this would help society as a whole, that this would be a public good that would benefit the economy, you know, across generations, across uh, social and economic groups, that this would just be a benefit for all, all all boats would rise, so Mm -hmm. to speak. (laughs) So it is interesting that that debate is had and largely shifts to that premise that uh, this would be a benefit to all. And the idea that that taxation was more of a political issue, uh, become somewhat of a non-issue by, I would say, because of the Industrial Revolution and the idea that we needed an educated citizenry, um, not just to be good citizens, but to be able to um, work in an industrial environment, not just an agricultural environment that largely Virginia had been up to that point.
1: So industrialization in our country was turn of the century, 20s, um, and then let's move up a little bit in terms of education. I know that there were separate public school services for our African-American population. And could you talk a little bit about the desegregation? And and that was seemed to be a very pivotal point in public education history.
2: Oh, absolutely. Probably the most pivotal and far-reaching Supreme Court decision of all time was Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954. That was a point of discussion when Virginia public schools were established. Uh, There were formerly enslaved uh, and free Black members of the Virginia legislature in the wake of Reconstruction, in the wake of the Civil War, I should say, who actually tried to challenge the idea of segregated schools. Uh, that, That failed, as we all know. Uh, And uh, schools were segregated, and of course, Plessy v. Ferguson said, you know, the Supreme Court ruling of 1896, federally, across the country, that you could have separate facilities if they were separate but equal. And we all know, of course, that they were unequal. And uh, Virginia public schools are kind of a great example of that. There there were uh, public funds that were provided for a separate education to both races. Uh, That was mandated in the state constitution. But as we see that unfold, some localities um, take advantage of that. And the argument being that, you know, taxation, taxation from one group should then support the schools uh, for that particular group. Obviously, they tried to segregate, I think, the dollars as well as the school, so to speak. Right. So in in some Virginia counties, obviously it was separate but unequal. But the degree to which it was unequal varied as well. You know, some schools, it was uh, a significant variance and some it was uh, overwhelming. Uh, One example I'll give is Prince Edward County, which becomes one of the cases of brown people in 1954, 1951 student walkout by a young lady named Barbara Johns, a 16 year old. Uh, That that locality, you had a very independent and emergent black community. And they very strongly advocated for equal schools. In fact, their initial argument was not for integrated schools. They just simply wanted them to be equal. They wanted them to follow the law of Plessy v. Ferguson. And it was the NAACP that took their case and said, the only way you're going to get equality is through integration. And that's how that shifted in that community. But the reason I bring that community up is not only because it was involved in this landmark Supreme Court decision, and the fact that it was a young 16 year old that yes. uh, advocated, you know, it, what an amazing uh, example of student agency that young people can truly impact their communities. This was a 16 year old young woman when Martin Luther King was still in seminary school and um, Rosa Parks was probably known only in her community, meaning that this was definitely ahead of its time you know, in Virginia public schools. This was a student movement that was kind of like a precursor to what we call the textbook civil rights movement. Uh, But what's interesting about that community is that the degree of difference was so severe. So for every uh, $10 that were spent on white education in Prince Edward County, there was $1 that was spent on African-American schools. So that degree of difference was so severe. It does make sense that uh, a movement may emerge from a community where it was that severe.
1: Wow. Yeah. And that happened here in Virginia. Um, I think Virginia Prince... Edward County was the last county to inter- integrate their schools. Is that?
2: Yeah, they, uh, it's a 13 year struggle there that starts mm-hmm. with the walkout in 1951, and then you have the Supreme Court case three years later. And many of those Moten students are a Moten High School where it emerged. Many of those Moten students have by that time graduated, and it becomes another generation's uh, duty to kind of forge ahead in that movement. But in 1959, after uh, uh, several federal court cases to try to force desegregation, Uh, That community tragically chose to actually shut down their public school system entirely. Uh, That was an example of what we call massive resistance in the state of Virginia. And uh, with tragic consequences, of course, uh, for for white and uh, African-American students, the only alternative was private education. And there was a system of vouchers that were given uh to uh those white families and of of course that violated our state constitution and that was ruled unconstitutional so then it was just incumbent upon parents uh to provide you know funds for education and a private education so white students without means as well as black students just by the very nature of of their race were categorically denied an education from 1959 until 1964, when the schools were forced to reopen.
1: Wow. So it really had an impact on many people in that community, not just on one segment of the population. One
2: interesting component of that story, I think, one, it does show what happens to a society when it doesn't have free public education. You have an entire generation of folks denied this opportunity and and many who lived on, many who overcame in spite of. Uh, but the categorical denial of public education had lasting impacts. And, and largely because of race, but also economics. Poor whites uh, were denied that education as well just because they couldn't afford it. Uh, so that's, it's a it's generation that we see the impact of a, a lack of public education being offered to a community. And one really interesting component for us locally is that our schools desegregated in 1964 One of the first families to come here and be part of that story uh, to force those doors open in Rockingham County was the Yule family. Uh, They came here from Farmville, from Prince Edward, because they did not have education for their children. So it's really interesting that the closed doors in Prince Edward forced them open here. And that happened at Park School, which no longer stands, but it's out uh, in the Parkview community on the north uh, end of Harrisonburg. And it's if you go to uh, where Eastern Mennonite High School is today, directly across the street was a school that was a public school, part of the Rockingham County educational system that was a three-room schoolhouse. And in 1964, the Yule children showed up. They were part of that first wave of integration.
1: Wow. So where, you know, education has been in the papers. and We're, we're back in, you know, because of with COVID and, and the different challenges that we've had. Where do you see the future? for education, public education in our
2: country? Public education continues to evolve with each generation. And I think it's much like American history. It continues to evolve and progress. If I'm looking at my own career as a student, as a lifelong learner, I see so many more opportunities than, than I was given. And I thought the education that I received was quite stellar. <laughs> uh, I was, you know, I, I attribute the, the teachers that I had in this school division to being some of the most inspirational and impactful people in my life. Uh, but I look at the students now, and I have children in this, this school system. So I'm looking at that through the lens of not only a professional, but as a parent. And, you know, I just see incredible opportunities, incredible instructional innovation happening, not only through technology, but utilizing technology to provide student-centered learning. Uh, My learning was probably more geared towards, you know, knowledge acquisition. Uh, That was the nature of, you know, largely, you know, textbook education. Uh, And that was just, you know, I was, I was a student prior to the internet (laughs) and the advent of that technology. So now with the information being ubiquitous and available everywhere and available at the tips of your fingers, uh, it it does fundamentally change and impact the classroom. And I think Rockingham County Schools has has responded to that historic shift that's happened around the globe. How do we change education to adapt to the changes that have happened because of technology?
1: So along those those thoughts, our teachers have sort of changed their instruction, I believe, to prepare our students for the demands of what our economy and international status. Uh, What are some of your ideas or your thoughts on how it looks different now than, again, say, back in the um, 20s, 30s,
2: 40s? Oh, yeah. We've shifted from the industrial model to, you know, 21st century learning. And, uh, you know, before we were preparing workers for an industrial economy, and, you know, largely that was uh, rote memorization. You know, how can you practice, the, you know, these skills, but largely those skills were how well can you regurgitate information? I mean, the skills are probably rooted mostly in literacy and literacy alone and a few math skills, of course, to be able to function in that society and serve those purposes. And that has evolved and changed into more creative and independent thinkers. And, you know, the Virginia Five Cs program is a great example of that, Um, you know, the innovation that is taking place in classrooms, the five C's, of course, being going back to our original roots, of course, citizenship and, you know, upholding our ideals and what we hold dear as a community, but also, you know, creativity and critical thinking. And then, of course, collaboration and communication, being able, and I will emphasize those two in particular, because that can be kind of some of the unintended consequences of technology is sometimes we live through it exclusively and social media of course we've seen the damage that that can have you know in classrooms and students and how we interact with one another so it's important that we teach students to use technology responsibly but also to be able to interact and work together and that's just that's going back prior to the advent of the 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 internet and the technology that they now have at their fingertips, you know, how can they utilize those as tools, but with the emphasis being that you are a critical thinker and that you can create something and you can work together with, you know, other students for that purpose. That is not dependent upon technology. Technology is just a tool that enhances that capability. And that's the important note, is that we're not just incorporating technology or putting an iPad in front of a student for the sake of saying that they have an iPad, but how can I utilize that as a tool for creation and critical thinking?
1: Very good point. I I was thinking, and as we sort of wrap this up, you're a parent, I'm a parent, I'm an older parent. Um, I remember my kids coming home and having all this technology that I was not exposed to when I was in school. So from your perspective, what advice or how can parents be helpful to their kids who are attending a public school setting?
2: Oh, you're a partner. You are more than welcome to, you know, of course, COVID has, and I would say that's one of the chief frustrations is that it has created distance not only social distance for the sake of our public health but our, our parents um, obviously want to be in buildings and we want them to be in buildings we want them to be able to interact and see the classroom uh, that was my favorite day as a, as a parent to be able to go into my kids school and take place and participate in learning and for them to see me there that they felt that i was invested in their education as well so hopefully that's around the corner that we'll be able to return to that in a safe way Obviously, parents are essential partners in the learning process. You know, schools obviously are intended to give them the tools and and set the stage for reading at night and engagement in, in what their child is learning in school so that parents can be a supporter of that and augment it.
1: Very, yeah, very good advice, I think. Well, I appreciate you being here, Bo. Um, again, you are a great example of the product of a public education system. And I appreciate all your knowledge and your time that you shared with us today. Thank you.
2: Happy to be with you. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Thank you, listeners, for joining us for Episode 2 of the Community Partner Cafe. Be sure to tune in the first Thursday of each month for new episodes. Thank you for listening to the RCPS Community Partner Cafe. If you would like to learn more about the information discussed on this podcast, visit us at www.rcps.net. If you have questions related to your own child, please contact their school directly. The information shared on this podcast does not substitute for advice directly related to your child. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, be sure to share.